0: Welcome into the Big Ten Huddle. I'm your host JR and we are here to talk about all the things going on in the Big Ten. It's our midweek episode where we're going to do a preview of one game but we're also going to talk about some news and notes of things going on in the Big Ten. And oh my, has Lou Holtz made some news in the Big Ten? We'll talk about that coming up. We're also going to talk about Big Ten defenses. And the thing we're going to talk about first, because I have a Michigan fan and a Nebraska fan with me today, is a little bit of a Michigan and Nebraska preview. We have Michelle with us today for Michigan. And then we have T Soul from the Soli Scoop podcast with us today to talk about Nebraska. T Soul, let's go to you first. Go ahead and plug your social media, let people know where they can find you at.
1: Yes, yeah, so you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, uh, YouTube. Pretty much the silly scoop is we're three brothers. We talk about Nebraska football. We argue about Nebraska football. We're always on three different sides. We never agree on anything. So just sit down and have you know a bag of popcorn and enjoy it.
0: There we go. I love it. And I love listening to you guys. I catch your episode. At least I try to every single week. But it's a good time and we appreciate it. Michelle, you want to go ahead and tell people about yourself and where they can find you?
2: Sure. I don't have a podcast. Uh, You can find me on Twitter, though, at Michelle K 4040, usually talking about football, sometimes approaching football from a legal angle. I am a lawyer and I get into that stuff as well. Uh, But yeah, you can give me a follow on Twitter or I'm on Instagram at Michelle Loves Football as well
0: awesome. And I will say that Michelle has been covering the Mel Tucker situation very well. She is able to go into all that legal side of stuff and really explain it and make it easy for us to understand. So if you caught yourself reading Mel Tucker's seven page letters or however long these things are and you're like, oh, it hurts my brain. Michelle's there for you to help you out. So thanks for being here. Both of you. We appreciate it. Oh, and I forgot to mention Michelle is our first woman on the Big Ten Huddle podcast. We're very excited about that. We're glad to have her here. And uh, we, we just appreciate that all people can talk football all the time and have a good time with it so before we get into it one last thing we are a podcast brought to you by big banter sports big banter sports you can find all of your big 10 media needs there bigbantersports.com. and the big 10 huddle please like and subscribe we have a new episode every monday wednesday and thursday morning we're on rumble youtube apple podcast the spotify podcast pretty much any podcast platform out there you should be able to find us there. All right, so enough of that stuff. Let's get into it. Michigan versus Nebraska. Michigan is 4 and 0. They are ranked number 2 in the country. They are 1 and 0 in Big 10 play after their game against Rutgers last week. And it is at Nebraska in Lincoln, Nebraska. Nebraska is 2 and 2. They are 0 and 1 with their loss coming at the beginning of the season versus Minnesota. Michigan is favored in this game by 17 and a half, but Michigan has yet to cover the spread in this season. So they have scored anywhere from 30 to 35 points all season, and their opponents have scored anywhere from 3 to 7 points all season. So you cannot say they're not a consistent team. We know what we're getting out of Michigan every week, it seems like. Uh, this series, Michigan leads 7 to 4 to 1. Their first game dates all the way back to 1905. There were three games in Lincoln in this series. Michigan won one Nebraska, one one, and they tied for the other one. Quick injury note before we get into it: Nebraska is missing uh, Luke Reimer. Well, questionable. He's questionable to be missing. Matt Rule talked about it in his, uh, in his pre-game press conference. Harberger should Harberger should be back. He seems to be healthy, and Jeff Sims is practicing as well. So I'm sure we'll get into the QB questions there with T. Soul in a minute. And then the Michigan injuries, Mason Graham is out this week and next week. The outstanding defensive tackle for them, he will be out. So let's get into it. Michelle, my question for you with this game, I, you know, sometimes we go into the matchups and we say, what's going to happen? I feel like it's pretty fair to say that Michigan is pretty heavy favorite in this game. So I look at this game and I say, what can Michigan do to not drop in the polls because if you pay attention to the polls Michigan has been dropping their points slightly they've never dropped their rank but they have been dropping their points slightly from the beginning of the year at 1,490 points to now 1,445 points or Michelle do you think just Jim Harbaugh doesn't care about that and he's going to play his game what do you think
2: so a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, to answer the question directly, I don't think Jib Harbaugh cares all that much. And I, I think most Michigan fans don't care all that much. I mean, this is a program and a culture that is sort of used to being overlooked, kind of comfortable as an underdog and really thrives there. So I think a lot of Michigan fans um, actually came into the season with the super high ranking, like feeling a little nervous and uncomfortable about it just because it's not somewhere... That we've been recently so i mean to the extent there is a slip that doesn't come from some sort of loss or disaster i don't think harba is going to care that much or if anything he's going to use it as a catalyst to continue building that culture continue building that mentality um we saw obviously with the loophole stuff how powerful that can be in motivating a team so i think jim Harbaugh will use it but you know to to get back to your other sort of more direct question um ap voters in my opinion and experience don't watch games they watch highlights right and michigan has not been a team in the past that's like given those huge highlight explosive play moments that like tend to make it onto the youtube tv like catch up through key plays right Mm -hmm. um they're not going to see like chipping away 10 yards here 10 yards there kind of plays that the style that michigan really thrives on and wins games through is not going to attract the attention of like the average person who's just watching those highlights. So if they want to really make an impression, maintain their position with those AP voters, they're going to need some more splashy plays. I think that means JJ McCarthy is going to have to step up and have a better game as well. I mean, this Nebraska run defense has been like, you know, low key number one right now. (laughs) They haven't played Mm -hmm. a team like Michigan yet with backs like Michigan's backs. But Michigan is going to have to get more creative through the air, especially I think JJ McCarthy is going to need to get his confidence back a little bit um, and start throwing a little bit more to get around what I think is a pretty strong Nebraska rush defense and certainly to attract some more national attention.
0: Yeah, J.J. McCarthy, I call him Mr. Efficiency uh, every now and then because he, he's just the most efficient a guy, guy out there. He doesn't have the biggest plays. He doesn't have the deep balls every single game, but he's very accurate on his deep balls when he does throw them. Uh, he's just Mr. Efficiency, and I, I like your point there, Michelle. I don't think that that really plays for the AP voters as much as maybe you know the big highlights like the Michael Penix and stuff like that does, so that's a good point. Uh, Tiesel, my question for you, uh, obviously Michigan, heavy favorite in this game, 17 17- and a half points in your opinion nebraska is at home so they do have that advantage what do they need to do to be able to win this game
1: the easy answer is just not turn the football over because that's what killed them against minnesota and then killed them again against colorado and they didn't turn the ball over as much against northern illinois and louisiana tech and you win but obviously those teams aren't michigan I think if Nebraska turns the ball over more than once, they're guaranteed to lose. And, and you know, Harbaugh might be banking on that just for Nebraska to beat themselves because that's what Scott Frost always did. But I think if Nebraska is going to play their best game, they're not going to turn it over. Their defense is going to play stout. And, you know, they're going to try and make Michigan beat them probably through the air, which is going to have to be, you know, a bunch of, slants and quick quick routes cuz Nebraska has some pretty good pass rush this season so far.
0: Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I didn't write this down in the notes, but I am curious your thoughts on Jeff Sims and Hyronic Harburg. Uh which one of those are you personally more comfortable with the ball in their hand to not turn it over?
1: <laughs> uh probably Harburg, but it's like he's nothing spectacular. He's a good runner, but it's like when he throws a pass, it's like, ew, overthrows everybody, You know, throws it into the ground. You know you're not beating anybody through the air. Nebraska has a good run offense, but you know, Michigan, I bet you, is going to come in and take that out of the game and say, beat us through the air. And that's going to be tough for him. And Jeff Sims throws a better pass, but usually it's right to the defense, or he just fumbles it. So it's like, I would still start Harburg if he's healthy, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I've been watching this Michigan defense obviously all season. And it's only really the passing game that I think is a weakness for them. And it's it's barely a weakness. They've been missing a ton of their secondary out on injuries. So we're kind of getting the the B game, I think, of this Michigan secondary. But the the pass or the the rush defense has been just suffocating thus far. And I think if Nebraska is gonna need to rely on that as they have been so far this season it's going to be hard um if i'm jeff sims i would like to actually sit this game out
0: um <laughs> <laughs> heal up a little bit like give myself yeah. a week. Let um, the other guy go out there let him make some mistakes and you come back <laughs> to practice hey, coach. <laughs> I,
2: I would not be volunteering uh personally uh to go up against this michigan pass rush so, yeah you
1: know i i do agree with you michelle there's something to be said because so far your two losses are with jeff sims as the quarterback and I don't think your welcome back party is going to be Michigan and you're going to come away feeling good about yourself. I don't, I don't foresee that happening either.
0: Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michelle, but haven't Rod Moore and Will Johnson been out until last week? Was it the first week they were back?
2: Yeah, they made a brief appearance in last week's game. Although I don't think they played the entirety of that game. I saw them out on the sideline and I think that was a wise move on Michigan's part, right? I think once it was clear that that game was going to be, pretty much taken care of, I think they wisely left them out. And I, I think in this game, Nebraska, if they're looking at it, if they think Jeff Sims is really the better quarterback, um, just like take the inevitable L. I hate to say that. I'm going to knock on wood because, you know, Lincoln's a tough environment. I've, I've been to a Nebraska-Michigan game there before, and I was nervous. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't want to get too confident. But if I'm Nebraska thinking about this game strategically, I would let Jeff Sims probably get the rest, um, save him up.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and speaking as somebody who is an Ohio State fan, and for years worrying about overconfidence, I'm not so much worried about that now because we're no longer the kings of the Big Ten, and I can say that truthfully and honestly. You know, another team—I won't say their name because I, it hurts my heart to say that—but uh, another team has arose to ar- arisen arose risen up to be. The Kings of the Big Ten after winning it two years. But that was always my concern is that in these games, like a Nebraska or or like, you know, maybe a smaller team, not really a Rutgers, but maybe a Minnesota, coming in too confident and maybe the secondary saying, oh, yeah, we're going to turn these guys over three, four times. Let's get our pick numbers up. And then all of a sudden, Jeff Sims throws the ball deep and boom, they get by you for a quick touchdown. You know, I don't know if that was exactly what happened with Rutgers last week on that first (laughs) touchdown. Um, I think there was a little bit. Of some different stuff there, and they just caught a good hole and were able to run through it. But um, it almost feels like to me Nebraska needs to needs to really capitalize on one of those situations. If Michigan will be overconfident, but I don't think they will be because Jim Harbaugh really seems like one of those coaches to just nip that in the bud if it were to happen. So,
1: all yeah. right. Let's I'll, go, I'll, I'll expand on that, that for, for a second. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm with you there because of coming in overconfident because nebraska has the talent on the roster but they just can't seem to put it together on the field because i mean i know it's just on paper and you when you talk about recruiting but like they've out-recruited the entire west for like the last seven or eight years maybe even their entirety in the big 10 you know minnesota might beat them here iowa might beat them here but you add them all up they beat all those guys but they don't beat them on the field and that's been the issue And so coming into this game, I don't know that I've seen enough of Nebraska in a positive light to pick them to come out and win the game. But I think that they could be competitive.
0: Yeah, to your point, Tiesel, and and this is something I look at at the beginning of every year, I didn't remember it, so I just looked it up, but Nebraska is fourth in the Big Ten in terms of 24-7 composite talent rankings. They have one five-star on their roster, and they have 23 four stars. So the only teams in front of them are Ohio state at one. Number two is actually Penn state very close between them and Michigan at three. So if there is a team that has the talent to possibly do something like that, you're not wrong. It could be, be, Nebraska. Michelle, you have any thoughts on that before we move on?
2: No, I mean, Nebraska has demonstrated sort of year after year, um, that it can hang close in games where it actually shouldn't. Right. Um, like I said, that game in Lincoln in 2021, was super close. And that was a Michigan team that went all the way to the college football playoff. Um, right. They did it against a really good Michigan State team. I think they they were close against Penn State a couple times. Like they are a team that can scare you. Um, the only difference I think thus far has been they'll scare you and then they'll do something very Nebraska at the end just to take themselves <laughs> out of it. Um, but like you said, you know, if they can eliminate those mistakes, if they cannot beat themselves in the end, they can certainly sneak up on teams. They have.
0: For sure, for sure. All right, let's move on to the... Uh, just delightful pie for Michigan fans and everybody else, I suppose. Ohio State fans love it, too. It's, it's a fun little thing, but Lou Holtz came on to Dan Dockich's Don't At Me podcast, and he started by apologizing to Marcus. He talking about how he apologized to Marcus Freeman for giving Ohio State extra motivation. He said this. He said, I called Coach Freeman yesterday and apologized because I put him in a bad position. Maybe. I don't feel bad about saying it because I believe it, and Notre Dame was the better football teams. If you didn't hear Lou Holtz's comments before, he essentially called Ohio State soft. Many of the things that people on Twitter and And, you know, fans are saying uh, to really rile up the Buckeyes. Uh, But it was different to hear actually somebody on television saying it. And so Ryan Day at the end of the game, you know, he kind of pops off and says, you know, I would like to see what Lou Holtz is doing right now. And he's just impassioned and, and very angry, but also, you know, loving for his players. And so it's just an interesting dynamic. Well, he was asked again later on about this and his thoughts on Ohio State and this is what's kind of riling people up a little bit more. He said he being Ryan day doesn't want to talk about Michigan because he's Owen two. He doesn't want to talk about the big game coming up against Penn state and against Michigan again. I don't think they are a great football team. He can go after me all he wants. <laughs> so <laughs> Lou Holtz, the 86 year old hall of fame coach with some strong words for, uh, for Ryan day, uh, we let Soul go first last time, so Michelle, we'll let you go first on this one. Uh, was Lou Holtz a motivating factor, in your opinion, was Lou Holtz a motivating factor for Ohio State beating Notre Dame?
2: You know, I actually don't think so. Um, and here's why. I thought a lot about this, especially because we've seen in the last week in particular a lot of really impassioned speeches, a lot of coaches just throwing, you know, rat poison, so to speak, at their players, trying to, you know, make it personal, um, fire their teams up. And first of all, like, I don't think most of that Ohio State roster even knows who Lou Holtz is or, like, cares. <laughs> I mean, Ryan Day cares, right? Like, Ryan yeah. Day grew up with Lou Holtz. Like, clearly, it was personal to him. Right. But if you think about the guys who were on the field taking the snaps, throwing the balls, making the blocks, like... I don't think they really cared that much, first Mm. of all. Mm. I also don't think that toughness is generated from anger. Like, I think, in my view, Ohio State won because of some luck and a talent differential, right? Like, there are very few teams in this country who will out-talent Ohio State. um, But I don't necessarily think it was their toughness, right? They weren't great at converting on third downs. It's been a problem for them all season. Uh, The toughness that I think Lou Holtz is referring to is generated through a program's culture, not through other people talking crap about them. It's generated in the weight room through strength and conditioning. And that's the edge we've seen Michigan have on this Ohio State team the last two years, right? Like That's why Michigan has been able to push them around in the trenches, beat them in the big games, mentally more persevering, more resilient. And Ohio State just kind of folded. And so I don't think Lou Holtz owed Marcus Freeman an apology at all. I think Marcus Freeman owed Lou Holtz a thank you for generating what was truly
0: a a clip that delighted all college football fans. (laughs) We are definitely united in talking about it. We can say that at the very least. T. Soul, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, actually, I was going to come out and argue the other way, but I think Michelle convinced me of that way because... I think about it, you know, people have been crapping on Nebraska for six years now. and hasn't helped them on the field. (laughs) So I'm right there with you. It probably just maybe irritated the coaches or, like, some of the players are kind of like, you know, what a jerk. But other than that, it's not really going to change the outcome of the game.
2: You know, I was going to say that. I wasn't going to use Nebraska. I was going to use, like, Indiana. (laughs) And I was going to say, like, if disrespect, like, somehow can be catalyzed into victories, like Vanderbilt, indiana should be like the most successful programs in the country and they're just not right because it's it's more than disrespect you actually have to have the physical ability the coaching the training to like do something with it
0: Yeah, I said this on the the Sunday podcast, and we talked about it, but I'll say it again. I really felt like what was happening, and Josh Pate actually said this, which I did not steal it from Josh Pate, okay? (laughs) He was actually – we were recording at the same time the show was on, so I couldn't even say it. But uh, I felt like it was kind of – For Ryan Day, like everything that has encompassed the past two years of losing to Michigan, and I do think that toughness was the issue in that first game. I don't think it was as big of an issue. I think there was some of it in the second game. But I think that it was more the issue of not being level-headed and penalties and guys just not being able to play kind of loose they were they were in their own heads but um, I, I feel like it was kind of like everything that has been brewing up since the the loss of the national championship in 2020 which if you remember that's when some of this conversation actually started a little bit people questioned Ohio State's toughness because they weren't able to play Bama in the trenches very well now of course losing to Michigan is really when that you know, really bolstered, and Michigan just took it and kind of ran with it third base, all those different kinds of things that they love to say. But I just felt like that was kind of Ryan Day's moment to say everything that has been brewing up these past two years has now actually come to light because I have a face that I can legitimately point at and say this person said this about me and the team. For ne- right now, it's kind of just been like a thought out there that some people have been saying, kind of, but not as direct as Lou Holtz. And so I don't know. It, to me, it's one of those things where it's like, I think it provided them motivation. But even if you talk to the players afterwards, the, the players weren't as impassioned about it as Ryan Day was. And I think that's where you're right, Michelle, is like, those players don't really know who Lou Holtz is. And they <laughs> probably don't really care. You know, uh, they let those things go off their off their back. But uh, that kind of leads me into my next question, because we've had... Uh, Other impassioned coaches, you know, we had Dan Lanning who, you know, the we're not playing for clicks, we're playing for wins as they cinematically record all of their, you know, game that week and then post it 15,000 different ways. Uh, Not taking a shot at Dan Lanning, but just seemed weird. Uh, but, but we have that. And then we have Jake Dickert talking about Lee Corso saying that they are, I think it was called the nothing bowl or the no longer relevant bowl or something like that. And Kirk Herbstreit got mad about that and was popping off on Twitter. Um, I mean, what are you all's thoughts? Soul, we'll start with you. Do you like seeing coaches kind of call out the media in that arguing there? Or is this something that you're like, this isn't what college football is. I could go without it.
1: I like it. I mean, they're, you know, they got a platform. They may as well use it. They're sticking up for their guys in the way that they feel, you know, right. But ultimately, again, as we, you know, discussed earlier, it doesn't really affect the game that much. And, you know, the talking should be after the game, not necessarily before it, because then you'll get proven wrong.
0: Yeah, uh, I think I think you're correct on that. Now, Michelle, I know uh, with Jim Harbaugh, he kind of just has his his cute comments and not really so much his impassioned because, you know, apparently he just found out what YouTube TV was this week. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Uh, but what do you think about coaches going after media members and other coaches, Michelle?
2: You know, it's funny. It's like college football coaches; they are just as insecure as the rest of us, right? Like. <laughs> they too are reading the comment section they too are like up at night about what other people say about them most of them right um it seems that dan lanning certainly was ryan day obviously was very very worked up and and hurt by lou Holtz's comments um i just i want to believe that they're above it i guess i want to believe that like the best of them like go to bed at night not worried about what some you know idiot on the internet said about them and more worried about the the X's and O's and how they're going to, you know, call a unique play or get their guys a little more trained in this area, you know, and and I'm just, I guess I've been surprised to see um, how much it factors in to motivating these coaches and how much the coaches then try to use it to motivate the players. Um, And I think honestly, like Dion, has kind of been the catalyst for that this season. I have to say like that Colorado state game against Colorado, which was a a much better game than the talent level would suggest that it should have been right. There was a disparity Mm -hmm. there. Um, But all the talk, all the talk about that game had nothing to do with football and everything to do with the stupid comment about the hat and sunglasses. Um, And that's, that's what the conversation was. And I, I guess there's a place for that. I just also think that we we miss so much if you're if you love the game itself, if you love the players, if you love the strategy, um, if you love that part of it, um, you miss a lot when you focus on kind of the the personal attacks or um, just the, the clicks, I guess. So.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I don't, I don't want to see personal attacks. I don't want to see you know media members regularly calling other coaches soft or you know just saying that this is a dumb coach or something like that. You know, you, obviously there's ways of being critical without personally attacking people. Uh, but I do, I do think it provides some intrigue and it's a part that you know, hey, everybody's talking about this, so it's one of those things where it's like we got something to talk about during the week <laughs> before okay. the games come. So yeah. for that, can't really say too much, but. All right. Let's go ahead and get into our last topic, which is the Big Ten defenses. So the Big Ten every single year typically we're known for our defenses, even defenses that you know struggle a little bit. Typically have a really good defensive coordinator that people can look to, and the Big Ten football release really pointed that out this uh, this week. And so I'm going to go ahead and just list the top. Uh, opponents scoring average so obviously a lower number here is better because this is defense but the scoring average of the opponent's team for every big 10 team in the order uh, that they would be in for the big 10 so number one michigan with 5.8 ohio state with nine penn state 9.3 maryland with 14.3 Rutgers at 15.3 iowa 17 nebraska 18 and a half Wisconsin 19.8, Minnesota 21, Indiana 23.7, Northwestern 25.8, Michigan State 26.3, Illinois 27.3, and at the bottom above 30 is Purdue with 32.3. So uh, obviously we have what happened this weekend with Penn State shutting out Iowa. That's where I'd like to start with this. Michelle, we'll start with you. Is Penn State shutting out Iowa at home during the wideout? impressive at all to you
2: sure I I mean it's hard to look at that and say that it's not an impressive performance Iowa is a superior team to any team that Michigan has played this season thus far and Michigan you know got all those games at home under ideal conditions and hasn't had a shutout yet and Cade McNamara for all of his faults is a former Michigan quarterback um he was I think he's pretty banged up and I think he's even more banged up after that game but it was incredibly impressive uh defensive performance by Penn State I I take nothing away from it
0: what are your thoughts Tso
1: well I just want to start by saying that I love that wording on that like is it impressive to you you know as I'm sitting on my couch going eh they could have done better but <laughs> <laughs> I'm High Yes. I, I, <laughs> yeah i know no i i'm saying i'm saying i'm with you michelle it's very impressive anytime you shut up a power five team and really we should say power two or three you know come next year but you know anytime you do that it's impressive now would it be more impressive if they did it against michigan of course but you know i was still got some talent on their roster you know they still were an eight win team last year i believe so yeah that's an impressive victory for them
0: yeah, I think for me it's the whole Brian Ferentz thing, everything with it. You know, it's like, you know, did did Penn State just bury Brian Ferentz because he's going to have to score 40 points in the rest of the games this season because <laughs> he just put up a goose egg? You know, it's one of those things where there's just so much drama around Iowa's offense that even, you know, if, if this was going to happen to any team, it's almost like, you know, this would be Iowa, that this would happen too. Uh, But I, you know, I I feel bad for those players because they are missing Luke Lachey. They are missing their two starting running backs. So it's one of those things where it's kind of difficult, but it's also interesting to think about with all the Brian Ferentz stuff going on. Uh, Our last question, and then we'll end here and and, and be done for the night. And Tiso, we'll start with you on this. How would you rank the top five defenses in the Big Ten?
1: I would start by putting Ohio state first, just because I think they played the toughest matchup of Notre Dame. And I mean, these rankings could easily change next week, but I think I would just start by putting them. Number one, holding Notre Dame to 14 points I'll slot Michigan at two, just because, you know, we know what they are. We know who they are in a sense. So, you know, I'll stick Ohio state one, Michigan two, I'll stick in Iowa three, just because, you know, they did give up 31 to Penn state, but, Ultimately, we know that Iowa's going to have a stout defense by the end of the season. Even if they're worse than last year, they're still going to be a great defense. And then I'll put uh, Penn State at four because, you know, they pitched a shutout against Power 5. they got to be in there. And, you know, you could make the argument they should be in front of Iowa, but I'll stick them at four for now. And then I'll put Nebraska in at number five because I'm a homer. And you know what? (laughs) I got to go with them.
0: I was going to say, if it's if you didn't put them in the top five, I was going to give you a chance to do top six <laughs> and put them in there. So Appreciate uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> Michelle, what are your thoughts?
2: Uh, my order looks pretty similar, actually, although I'm going to be a little bit harder on Michigan than you. Um, hmm. I like Ohio State at number one. I just think they have the more impressive defensive performance against the best opponent than anyone in the Big Ten has seen this year so far. Uh, except for, you know, Michigan State against Washington, that defensive performance was not a defensive performance no, at all. Now, <laughs> um, no, Ohio State um, has looked like a transformed team. It finally looks like the team that they intended to build by bringing in Jim Knowles, and you got to put him at number one, I think. I think Penn State's probably number two uh, because of that performance against Iowa. I mean, anytime you can get a shutout, like I said, Michigan hasn't had one yet. They've definitely been very effective at limiting scores against them, but they haven't played an opponent like Iowa yet. And so it's hard to say whether they would perform to that level, especially if they haven't so far. Um, That said, I reserve the right to amend that opinion (laughs) if and when Michigan gets its absolutely elite secondary back from injury. Um, But until then, I'm going to put them at number three so far. I think by the end of the season, that will shift. I think Michigan actually has... The best defensive capabilities, even if they've not given the best defensive performance to date. Um, after Michigan, I probably would say Iowa just because that's just going to be a tough defense you're in and you're out. And then I'm going to do a tie for fifth. Um, I do like Nebraska's rush defense a whole lot. I think they've done plenty to earn our respect, uh, but Indiana has kind of snuck up as like a low key. Stingy defense as well. And so I want to give Indiana a rare shout out, too.
0: appreciate all for that. that. I'm <laughs> all for a, a nice Indiana shout out. Uh, we every now and then get people saying, You don't talk enough Rutgers. You don't talk enough Indiana. So, if we you're got an Indiana fan out there, we shouted you out. Okay. Got you. <laughs> I see that defense. <laughs> Hey, I always say, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, Tom Allen is going to make a very, very good defensive coordinator for somebody here in the next few years. Unfortunately, head coach not really his thing but defensive coordinator he's gonna make a team very happy I think here in the next few years so all right we're gonna get out of here uh, we want to thank Michelle and T soul for coming on today thanks so much for being here you all are welcome back at any time uh, it was a pleasure having you talking the big Ten please remember to check out big banter sports bigbantersports.com, or find us on social media tomorrow we are going to have a Michigan State and Iowa preview as more as well as some more big Ten Top Talk with Jeffrey the Greek From Eyes on Big And we are going to have Anthony from Twitter uh, We are Shardy I think is his app for that But I know Anthony a little bit And I think he's hilarious And I think you're going to have a really good time listening to him pre- Those two together previewing Michigan State And Iowa and some more Big Ten Talk So again, thanks everybody For being here and listening And thanks to our guests for coming in Have a great day
1: Appreciate it Thanks, thanks for having us